KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu. On Everybody's Doing It with Miss Lolly, I talk with a kinky couple about how to have fun in a non-traditional relationship. I am not the kinkiest person in the world. There's definitely kinkier people. For what I do, is it for everyone? No. But is there a kink or kinky for everyone? Probably. Probably. So join us on Everybody's Doing It with Miss Lolly. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. Warning! This episode describes sex acts and other fun activities that may not be appropriate for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, beautifuls. Miss Lolly here with a very big topic. So big, in fact, that I can't fully cover it in this tiny little episode. So if you want to hear more in-depth conversations about kink, BDSM, and adult play, please subscribe and rate the show so that I can continue to give you access to many guests who want to share their knowledge and advice with you. All right, so now let's get down to it. You are listening to the kink episode. This is a massive subject, so we will only be scratching the surface here. In this episode, I have for you a few guests whose kinks are the main focus in their personal lives and their businesses. They will be sharing with you their experiences, passions, and even some struggles they had in getting started. And as usual, beautifuls, I will help you along the way with some definitions and guidance as we navigate the ocean of possibilities that is kink. And remember, these are the most basic, broad definitions. There are many websites, books, podcasts, online kink tests, and virtual and IRL communities that go deep and wide into these subjects. And I strongly suggest that you seek out more information if you hear something that gives you a little tingle of curiosity. So what is kink? Kink just refers to non-normative or conventional sex behavior. This is an umbrella term that covers fetishes, role play, toys, you name it. Later in this episode, we discuss how subjective this term is, because normative means different things for different people. A lot of the time when people say kink, they're actually referring to BDSM, which stands for bondage, discipline or dominance, sadism or submission, and masochism. This is also a very wide category, but the main focus is that of an unbalanced power dynamic, where one person is the dominant or dom, and the other is the submissive or sub. This is frequently referred to as a DS relationship. Pain is not a must in these relationships. It's more about the power play for a lot of people. But pain from impact and things like humiliation, degradation, worship, and servitude are all powerful tools in creating the desired emotional space. You will also hear the term top and bottom, which have a few different meanings, including the giver or the receiver, or the one in control, or the one being controlled. We will also dig into this a lot more later. But I want to start you off with something on the tamer side. So I'm going to take you with me to the Rope Collective studio, where I was offered an amazing experience with Tony. Tony. 
Hi, my name is Tony. I also go by Submissive Tiger in the rope and kink world. I am uh, the studio owner of the Rope Collective located in Barrio Logan on the edge of downtown. You can find us at theropecollective.com or the Rope Collective on Instagram or Facebook. We also have a Bloom account all under the Rope Collective. Tony has been practicing, teaching, and demonstrating shibari for most of her adult life, and she is an expert in creating a wide range of experiences for people that take into consideration each person's specific body, mindset, and experience level. I am very inexperienced in rope play and have never been suspended before, so Tony offered to create a nice, relaxing experience for me while I asked a million questions about how it all worked. Well, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> It's good to have you here. So we're going to go over some uh, foundational, what we call soft skills in rope first, just to make sure that um, you're aware of all the risks and also that I can get fully informed consent from you for all of the activities and fun things we're gonna go through today. And I'm gonna go over the risks associated with them. That way you can give fully informed consent because you may say yes to tying with me but if you don't know all of the risks and the specifics of the activity you can't fully give me a, a, a fully informed yes yeah. right absolutely sounds yeah. great cool so rope carries some risk regardless of what kinds of rope you're going to do the level of in which the risk is um, dependent on positions or um, the extreme nature of how you're applying the rope. Uh, today we're going to be doing suspension, which is a little bit on the higher risk. So I just want to make sure that you understand the risk and also know what to look out for in the case that anything is going wrong. So vocabulary, we have our, our whole um, basically kink jargon that everybody uses. So I'll start from probably the most basic to a little more of our more advanced concepts. Um, so you will often hear the phrases top and bottom when referring to rope. The top is usually the person um, administering the rope or tying and a bottom refers to the person being tied. Um, I have found that they're not tied to like dom sum, sub necessarily, you know, because a lot of people can be tops or bottoms, but not necessarily in like that power exchange role. Mm -hmm. So I would say that the, the terms top and bottom just refer to um, the actual either giving or receiving of rope. And um, there's also switch is somebody who enjoys doing both, being tied and tying others. So, so we'll do a hands-free chest harness and then a um, hip harness. So that will just be right here and then right here on your chest. And then if you do want a little more supportive lines, we can bring your thighs up. Like I can do thigh bands and bring those up and that'll give you a little more support in the air. Is there anywhere in particular other than that ankle that you're like, do not touch me here, or do you think that 
the ties I described are going to be anywhere sensitive that I need to be extra careful with. Nope, I think I'll be fine. How I plan to touch you is just for the application of the rope. Would you like any sort of like either nurturing or forceful touch in the rope or as we go? Or do you want to keep it very um, platonic and more technical base today? I'll give you an example of a more forceful touch. Is it okay to give you a little hair pull and put my body weight on you a little bit? Yes. Okay, so forceful. I might come and actually give you a little pressure with my body weight. Mm -hmm. And this would be kind of like a forceful hair pull. Uh -huh. So that's an example of something that's a little more forceful. And then sensual touch, is it okay to um, kind of run my hands down your body? Yes. Okay, so a more sensual touch would be more like, we'll take the hair pull example. <laughs> Give me goosebumps. Right? <laughs> so those types of touch can be really, they can heighten the experience. Okay, and then I just wanted to go over safe words. Mm -hmm. And also, I'm a big fan of nonverbal cues. So ways that we can communicate with each other that don't require a lot of language and they don't require a lot from you to communicate that you're ready to come out. So I'm sure you know the streetlight system, mm -hmm. red, yellow, green. Green is good to go. Yellow is like your threshold, like I need a pause or something to change, but I want to continue the scene and stay in rope. And red is like out of rope, scene over. I like to put a whole 24 hour hold on a red <laughs> where I'm like, <laughs> give it a full 24 hours before you re-engage in kink activity um, because it sometimes takes us that long to really process physically or mentally why we possibly would have had to say red. Um, Nonverbal cues, if you need to communicate with me that you are ready to come out or down, um, just shake your head back and forth like that. That can also in indicate to me a yellow that you just need a check-in. Mm -hmm. um, but if you just continue to do that or um, don't say anything afterwards, I will just bring you down and out of rope. I will occasionally be um, putting my hand in your hand like this. And then if you give me a squeeze, uh-huh, then I'll know you're good to go. And if I don't feel any squeeze, I'll take that as a sign that you're ready to come down and out of rope. Okay. And so the reason I really like to have nonverbal cues is you could be in an environment where you can't hear each other very well or um, additionally if I'm constantly like, is this okay? Do you like this? How is that? How is it? That might take you out of your moment and your ability to sink in. Um, and additionally, it is common to kind of go a little nonverbal in rope, so I just want to make sure you have all of the access to ways of communicating even if you're in a mental state where you don't feel like you have full access of language. That kind of leads me into disclaiming that this practice, especially suspension, can often give you kind of like a high elevated, almost like inebriated sensation. So just being prepared for that and that um, sometimes from that kind of high, you can have a feeling of dropping from that high, which is why I'm a big fan of great aftercare plans. The highs and lows Tony is talking about is very important in the kink experience. BDSM isn't just about wearing something sexy and hitting people. There's a lot of brain chemistry that happens during an intense physical and emotional experience. 
And BDSM basically aims to create those experiences in a controlled environment. This is why negotiation of what will get a person there without actually harming them physically or emotionally is so important. When done in a healthy way, the planned out actions and environment, known as a scene, will induce a boost in endorphins and adrenaline that put the submissive or bottom into a state of euphoria, known as subspace. Dominants also get a boost of happy chemicals when engaging in these activities. However, it's a little different for the one who's in charge. Now, another really important thing about BDSM interactions is the aftercare involved once the scene is over. People coming out of subspace can experience what is known as a subdrop. This is what happens when the happy chemicals rapidly decrease, leaving the submissive feeling the emotional void and physical pain the body was initially protecting them from. Aftercare, which can include feeding, cuddling, or bathing, helps the submissive's brain gently land in the soft, comfortable place of love and care, rather than crash land on the hard ground of neglect and indifference. This aftercare can also be a really beautiful bonding experience for both and all parties. I'm really not trying to overload you with information, so if you're new to this and want to know more, there's a lot of information a quick Google search away. Now let's get back to Tony. People practice for many different reasons. I came in, it was a lot more fun, it was a lot more sexual, um, but then I got very into the um, art of tying. And then I started teaching and it became mostly platonic for me in, in most situations because I was in a professional setting and I was teaching and therefore, you know, I love, I love a fantastical power exchange or power dynamics. I do not, um, I'm not very interested in like real power dynamics. So it felt to me unethical to be teaching people how to do this practice while also having some sort of sexual or romantic relationship with them. Mm -hmm. um, so for, yeah, I think until recently I, did not have any sort of like sexual rope experiences. So I think it's important that everybody get on the same page when they are gonna tie together because you could say, hey, you wanna tie with me? And one person might be thinking, oh, okay, we're gonna lab, we're gonna do something educational. And the other person could be thinking, we're about to get sexy. Mm -hmm. And it's important to be on the same page with those things and realize that it's, not only very fluid for different people, but fluid at different times too for, for everyone. Um, How does this become sensual and sexual? Well, I think that it kind of speaks to like where rope came from, right? It's rope has often, um, and even a lot of the ties that I'm doing are torture ties, right? They're, they were made to torture different, like um, in Japanese shibari and like Japanese rope bondage specifically, it was a way of torturing other samurai, but from, you know, anybody who had been dishonorable or, you know, somebody that you respected, but they also had to be tortured. So it was this, um, kind of seen as this way of torturing someone in an honorable way. And so they would, with that, make sure they had eaten well and bathed and kind of care for them before they tortured them. So that created this very interesting 
kind of duality and um, and history behind rope. And so when they started making more uh, like mangas with more pornographic content, rope started becoming part of the imagery mm. and they would, you know, use rope in, in uh, illustrations. Uh, and then once the magazines started getting traded with other countries and things like that, um, that's kind of how the more classic shibari spread. And additionally, it was largely in Japan used by um, sex workers in their work as well. So I think, you know, you can't, nor would we want to take out the erotic or sexual element out of it. It's a really big part of this practice. Um, but one of the powerful things I've found with rope is it really changed my perception of what sexuality is, what sensuality is, what eroticism is, and kind of broke it out of this like box where to me was this, I think we've all kind of been conditioned to think it's this all encompassing thing where it's like, oh, you, your sexuality and your intimacy and your vulnerability is all reserved for this one thing, which is your primary partner who eventually you should marry and have kids with and a family right. dynamic. And, and that's gonna be your only source of any of those feelings or sensations. Um, but it's a really big part of who we are as humans. And so to be able to kind of deconstruct that and realize that, wow, I can have a intimate or erotic or sensual experience with somebody and it doesn't have to be explicitly sexual mm -hmm. um, was a really powerful kind of realization for me that that rope allowed me to have that feeling of um, loss of control or helplessness or uh, constricting restrainment you know you're getting all of these feelings that we're all very used to having a very negative intense association with and so to be able to play with those sensations in an erotic way in a playful way in a way where you ultimately know that you have full control and power and autonomy over what you're doing really allows people to kind of change their their fear and association with those feelings and sensations so i think that that's kind of one of the the really powerful things about this practice is not just the somatic experience that you're getting but really the experience of rewriting your your narrative okay so here's a question how how do you think someone's personality might shape their style of rope play? One thing I've found is that people's personalities tend to really blossom after they have encountered something like rope or kink or BDSM in general because it's very vulnerable, it's very exposing, it's very real and raw, you know? Um, so. You know, I found even a, a dear little sweetheart human who now is our studio, calls himself the studio cat. They're here all the time now. And they just casually met us at an event at the Marrow and, you know, just wanted to be tied. And when I first met them, they were very introverted, very quiet, very, you know, didn't make a lot of eye contact. 
And once they started doing rope and coming around the studio, now they're like giving tours of the studio and like helping other people to feel welcome and comfortable in the space. Um, so it's, it's interesting because I feel like there's, people have a personality um, outside of rope, but then their personality in rope can be very different too. And sometimes those things can play off of each other and feed off of each other. It definitely had that effect on me where I was um, really bad at communication in, especially like in workplaces or anything where it was really serious, I would just like cry. It was really like held me back in a lot of ways. And rope was something where I could start to like practice communication and setting mm. boundaries and talking about things I wanted and I didn't want. You and have to be very explicit about about everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it really kind of like trained me to be able to um, communicate in every facet of my life. This is a subculture and a fringe, so you would think it would be relatively, you know, similar in all veins. But even within the rope community, there's so many different styles and different kind of reasons people tie and that will that will kind of shape their their practice and who they're associating with and who they're doing rope with, you know, like festival rope is a big thing now where it's like all the festival people like to do rope. And then for me, I would say I'm a little more of like a traditionalist in terms of like education and doing it as an art form and being really like kind of I hate to say serious, but a little serious about it, you know? Like, I'm very, like, this is serious. <laughs> you take um, it seriously. Yeah, I take yeah. it very seriously. Whereas some people might um, not. They might, it might be their total escape route, you know, where they are only here for the good times. And that is totally understandable. You know, I would never want to take some, that away from anybody. Um, so I have noticed that there's, uh, lots of little like sex within the rope community um, that kind of speak to to people's personalities and interests and things yeah. like that. I just want to vocalize that one thing that does make me nervous and has always made me nervous about suspension and mm -hmm. the reason why I haven't done it mm -hmm. um, is irrational. I never understand, but it's my size. I am really glad you brought that up because I think that it's, it's a common misconception, but it, it makes sense why it's a misconception because I do feel like historically the rope world has not been the best about um, education in modifying your rope for different bodies. That being said, I can assure you this rig can take 800 dynamic and 500 static. So basically, if you are moving around a lot in it, it can take up to 500 pounds. And if it's just an up and down situation with like some very light rotation, it can take up to 800 pounds. So you're fully safe in this rig itself. In the ropes, when I'm tying people of um, who might be taller or bigger bodied or anything like that, I will make sure that the wraps have multiple layers and that the weight is really evenly distributed. So by the time that you release yourself into them, you should have multiple points of weight distribution. So there will never be a point where like all of your weight is on one 
thing. Nothing should be painful. If it's painful, that's usually something we can adjust. When we get back from a quick break, we will get to hear the moment my brain starts to turn off while being suspended. So stick around for more of Everybody's Doing It with Miss Lolly. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. I am in the Rope Collective studio with the talented Tony. The whole time we were talking, she has been tying me to a rig, and then she hoisted me up, and I am suspended a few feet off the ground. I was doing my best to continue to ask her questions for you, but there was a point where I was hanging there, and I got so relaxed that my mind just became jelly. I think you can actually hear in my voice when that happens. I'm glad Tony was able to keep talking with our sound engineer, Chris, while I slowly turn to mush. So right now we have a um, hip loading, a hip loader, which is a kind of hip harness. And I've done a little bit of a basket weave with my excess rope for support. And right now I'm attaching a hanger that is gonna have a carabiner on it, which is uh, going to allow me to create a little bit of a pulley system on here. And then up top, we have a hands-free chest harness. This is actually Shay's self-suspension chest harness that I've modified a little bit. And so basically to get into it, what we're gonna do is I'm gonna pull up a little bit and you're not gonna immediately go into it. You're just going to maybe kind of feel into it so you can like feel if there's any lines that feel uncomfortable, um, get a, an idea of what the sensation's gonna feel like. Mm -hmm. And then I'm gonna attach your um, chest harness and then you can lean back into it. So this is, feels like the opposite of a bra. Yep. It's like just <laughs> <laughs> everywhere a bra is not. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and the opposite of underwear too. <laughs> right, the opposite, totally. <laughs> I feel pretty balanced. Yay, okay, perfect. So we're gonna give you just a moment to relax into those ties. Um, if there's any particular band that is cutting in more than others that you want adjusted, I can do so. And then I'm gonna bring your thighs up and you will be completely suspended. This is really comfortable. Yay! <laughs> it's like being in a hammock. hammock. I think that the, the most powerful thing that rope has brought me is um, kind of an outlet for my creativity in a way where I could be disciplined. Like, it, it, I've always been a very creative person, but always have lacked the discipline to get good enough at it, you know? Um, and rope was the first thing that really was, almost gave me the opportunity to take little steps mm -hmm. and really allowed me to not overwhelm myself with, oh, I need to get really good at this thing right away because there's no way to get really good at rope right away unless you're doing it constantly. Um, so I think, yeah, the, the ability to really be disciplined was something that I was passionate about um, 
was huge for me. And also just um, being able to relate to others in a way that um, was understood. You know, I've, it's allowed me to see different kinds of people and different personalities and, and kind of almost um, have a unique approach to each person and relationship and individual that I encounter because that's kind of how you have to approach things with rope is everybody's a unique butterfly and, right. you know. Your body is different. Yeah. So it helps you find your people. Totally. And this takes a lot of trust. Like, you know, yes. and I know I didn't just meet you today, but like, <laughs> if I were to have come in here and just met you, mm -hmm. this takes a lot of trust to be like, all right, go ahead. Just tie me up to a giant tripod, like a fly in <laughs> You know, just sitting, hanging around, spinning. Just hanging out. Just hanging out on a Monday. <laughs> oh yeah, it is Monday. Right? I love my life. <laughs> I my other job this morning, and I was like, I'm going to be doing two very different things in this later today. <laughs> Can I get you any water or snackies in the immediate? Before I take this one? Just a little, uh, water is great. Okay, I'll be right back. What are your immediate thoughts? I was just thinking about um, the idea of people constantly being in control of things and having to be in control, like even just in your everyday everything. Driving here, I had to be in total control of myself. Like, you can't just let your brain go and your body go and just float in existence. And this is kind of a, uh, a break from that. Especially when I was spinning. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Put it on the table. Thank you. So who is rope for? Everybody, everybody and everybody. It's my motto. <laughs> so what about somebody who's like 75 years old and has arthritis? Oh, there are still ways to get you in rope. Um, I actually used to work with this couple in San Francisco, Jim and Donna, and they just look like someone's grandparents, but they would do rope suspension. They would do all sorts of things. I will say that, you know, your risk profile as you get older or if you have ailments may look different than others, but there are so many different ways to modify rope to work for you. And that might look like maybe you just do floor tying or maybe you do partials where only part of your body that can take it is in tension. Um, or we do some sort of suspension that's a little more relaxed, kind of like the one you and I did. I could have made that even more cozy and comfortable and really just made you a full human hammock <laughs> net bodysuit. Right. Um, so really it just, it depends on what you want to get out of it. Um, and, and then just really thinking about what kind of risk profile you want to have. What kind of risks are you willing to accept in your practice? And then you can really cater your practice to work with your risk profile. 
I think that you could say the same thing about yoga. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What like, about I'm people who have um, people who have anxiety? I think that for people who have anxiety, rope is a um, beautiful practice, but I would say to treat your anxiety as you would any other physical inhalement, um, because I will, you know, I would be just as quick to cut someone out of rope if they were having a panic attack than if I thought they were having a nerve impingement because when you are putting yourself in a vulnerable position physically and mentally, yes, we have the opportunity of transformative, powerful experiences that some might even say is cathartic or healing in some way, but you have just as much possibility as harming yourself or harming someone else. So I think being really um, conscious about that, if you do have anxiety, making sure that the person you're working with knows that you have a really good escape plan and that you're able to hit that panic button whenever you need to. But I have found that the, yeah, the reframing of helplessness has really helped with my anxiety and being able to process in the moment focus on my breathing, focusing on my body, my breath has been really helpful for my little anxiety brain. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you can probably bounce back and forth between this is making me a little anxious, but oh, now I have this mindfulness practice of I feel the rope on me. I have to pay attention to my body. Yeah. And I think also, you know, being able to have that little, I mean, I think that that's why I got really obsessed with rope is because I wouldn't recommend this kids, but the first time I was in rope was in suspension live in front of an audience. So I went from full blown stage fright, anxiety, freaking out to fully zen, nobody's in the room, I'm just in rope. Um, so that was a very powerful experience for me in that way. And I think if you are practicing with someone you trust, um, being able to have those feelings come up and having someone honor and respect and hear and see you in, the, in those feelings can also be very powerful um, to be able to trust yourself in those moments, you know? Yeah. I can see how... Um everything would just melt away at some point. Yeah, I, I always wondered that because again, I wouldn't recommend to anybody, oh yeah, first time you do it, you should be in suspension in front, in front of an audience. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I feel like it was really important. I was at this Rope Bottoms round table once and I was like, you know, even though I wouldn't recommend it, I feel like it was really important for my journey. Like, had I just, been in some weird dungeon with some person I had mediocre <laughs> feelings about or situation that I was apprehensive about, I might not be where I am today. Yeah, my first experience, not obviously not being suspended, that's okay, mm -hmm. but uh, my first experience with any kind of role play was somebody who I just didn't feel 100% comfortable with. Right. Um, and th they were just a little... A little creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that can really change, reframe how you think about things. So I definitely recommend to take your time with it. If you want to do something extreme like suspension, hire a professional. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, because yeah, you definitely, again, when you're coming into a space that is, um, you know, requires vulnerability, you open yourself up to um, lots of transformation, but also the possibility of being in a harmful situation or a creepy situation. So it's really important to have a sense of agency as you as you come in. Getting untied feels good too. Yeah, so getting untied is just as important as being tied in my opinion. Um, also, you may notice when the rope officially comes off and the blood flows back to all of the places that you might get a little bit of a rush, a little head rush. You might feel a little bit of a like high sensation. Um, mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Go. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this. Yeah, my pleasure. Oh, so lovely. I then went from hanging around with Tony to hanging out in a sex toy workshop with a couple I met who are lifestylers and kink adventurers. My name is AJ Mason. Taylor McFall. We own MacMation Creations. We do custom wood and kink products from impact implements to furniture. We are Arthur. kinky. Polly. Polly. And um, hedonist. Swinger. Swinger. We, you name it. <laughs> yeah, we like to have fun. We like to party. I'm pansexual, so I, I just love love. I'm heteroflexible. <laughs> oh, and a couple that's in love that likes kink. There you go. Congratulations on all the fun you guys get to have. AJ and Taylor are part of an ordinary blended family that goes to movies on the weekends and does homework and family meals during the week. But this couple also loves to play. So much so that they took a personal passion and turned it into a business creating custom impact tools and toys. I sat down with them at home to talk relationship dynamics and the many sexual awakenings they had throughout their lives. But before we hear their story, here are some terms you'll need to know. The lifestyle. This refers to engaging in kink and or DS relationships most or all of the time. It is a lifestyle choice and not something you casually or occasionally engage in. ENM and poly. ENM stands for ethically non-monogamous, and poly stands for polyamory. These are physical and/or emotional relationships that consensually include more than two people. Electro play. This is play that includes a toy that uses electricity to create a little zap sensation on the skin. I find that people either love or hate the sensation, and that the anticipation of the zap is most of the fun. Now back to their workshop. I do apologize for the sound quality. My mics were on, but they weren't working. I guess I have some technical kinks to work out. Okay, enough of the dad jokes. Here's AJ and Taylor. I got married at 20. I didn't discover my sexuality until I was about 29. Mm. And then I realized, ooh, you can do things like this. <laughs> so yeah, much different. <laughs> I've had numerous sexual awakenings. Um, it was probably my 11th grade year. I, had, I got a girlfriend and she was much more experienced to me. And so I started like opening more up uh, sexually with her. I got married at 18 because uh, I was in the Navy. We had a good sex life. It wasn't compared to now, not super kinky. Compared to some people, probably, you know, choking, um, the, some impact, things like that. And her and I split. I ran into another partner and another sexual awakening. A lot of impacts, a lot of rough sex, a lot of throwing around, a lot of 
threesome, foursomes, group sex, a lot of fun. And went on a deployment and we kind of parted ways. Came back, met my second wife. Not quite, again, not quite vanilla sex, but like she had a foot fetish, kind of the mainstream kink stuff. What would you consider mainstream kink stuff? uh, Slapping on the ass, throwing around, sex against the wall, uh, choking, feet, come play, anal. The stuff that you would kind of see in like normal, almost normal porno-ish. Obviously, Taylor's way more sexually awakened, but earlier than me. <laughs> my sexual awakening was with myself. Like, I had tons of toys <laughs> and um, different stuff like that. So, but not with another person until I was about 29. And then it was just like, wow. We've said this before. We were both sluts before we met. Yeah. And then when we got together, was definitely a whole other book, chapter, encyclopedia. So that was uh, our huge sexual awakening too, is when we met each other, which was, mm-hmm. I was 31 and you were 32. It's hard to meet someone that like, you can literally say anything to. And then like, let's try that, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's try that. So that was probably, I would say, I don't know, I wasn't with you during your slut era, but that was my biggest sexual awakening is when I met Taylor and I finally can like, do it in a comforting setting without it being like just multiple partners and trying things, you know. Mm-hmm. You can actually be comfortable with somebody and yeah absolutely having a partner that is there and by my side and that i can trust yeah. can you tell me a little bit about power play between the two of you <laughs> i'll tell you that one uh we sexually we are super compatible and we love each other and in our kink world we don't do a lot of kink together and the reason is is because we are both alphas and we're like this but we see each other as equals mm. so we, it's really hard to top each other, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So, and if we do, we're just both tops. Like I can be, I can bottom. Don't get me wrong. I can't bottom for him. Mm. And it's well, not uh, necessarily okay. This is sexual, which is the sensation one. But what's like, if it's like impact or anything having to do even with a little bit of pain, mm. I don't like it when he gives me pain. I don't like doing it, like doing painful topping sessions on AJ either. So a lot of it's mental for me with him, like things that I let. A few other people that I really also trust do. I just can't let them give me pain because all I want to do is hit him back mm-hmm. <laughs> and make it even, if that makes sense. So <laughs> that's not really how this works. So that's why we don't do it. When we top together, when we top another person together, mm-hmm. that is a lot of fun. I I love co-topping with AJ in any in impact. She'll co-top with me on electro everything else. I mean, we have a lot of fun. Yeah, because we, we have, I think we have the same mindset and that's why it's easy for us to do it together, just not to each other. Do you think kink is for everybody? No. Uh, well, I mean, there's so many different types of kink, but no, I don't think that kink is for everybody. I think it's a very mental game kink and I think that kink can be a very therapeutic thing for some people, but it can also be a very traumatizing thing for some people. You have to be able to let go. You have to, well, and, but, but let go and trust, and that's why you have to find really good kink partners, right? I'm not a very trusting person, so it took me a lot of things to bottom for that I can actually trust. I think if you want to try it, absolutely do, but to really, really try it with somebody that you trust, you have to establish a lot of boundaries and a lot of consent and a lot of, like, Whatever you guys talk about that's going to happen in that scene or whatever is the only thing that's going to happen in that scene, if that makes sense. And that's that trust factor. Almost like you got to really vet and interview the person you're going to do it with. You were saying something along the lines of oh, those ordinary kinks, you know, like you can spice things up or whatever. Do you think that that might help people to get a little closer to I mean, there's so many different types of personalities in the world and so many different flavors of 
everything. Um, what I consider vanilla, other people may consider kinky. Mm-hmm. What I consider kinky, other people may consider vanilla. I mean, I am not the kinkiest person in the world. There's definitely kinkier people. For what I do, is it for everyone? No. But is there a kink or kinky for everyone? Probably. Probably. So if anything can be a kink, then how do you define vanilla? Okay, so not everyone can be kinky, but everyone has a little bit of kink side, if that makes sense. So, like, if you come from a background where, like, sex was never talked about and whatever, doing it doggy style is probably kinky to you. I would say maybe a a vanilla is for the individual person. So I was very vanilla in my first marriage, even though I played with a lot of toys and all this stuff. But, you know, that stuff was vanilla to me. And, like, if I just go back to doing that, I'm like, oh, that's boring. Mm. Like, that's the boring back, the boring part of me again. So, I don't know. Like, because people consider vanilla and boring, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's why I don't like that word. It's Something. Yeah. It, is, I think it is subjective. So, they might not be as vanilla as they were before. Or they might not be, like, everyone's at a different stage of their sexual waking. Tell me a little bit about um, Polly and Ian. Well, we were together for only, like, I don't know. A month or so when we realized that we we're both into that, but we decided to wait. Uh, we waited about a year. If you're thinking about getting into it, 90% of it is you're communicating so much to the point it's almost annoying, but it needs to be done. And so we talk about everything. We still do. We still talk about so much. And I think that's why it works for us too, is we just are really good communicators. And, um, and also if something bothers us, it's one of those things like if we didn't say no right away and we didn't, it didn't bother us until later, we can talk about it, but I can't get mad that you did it because I never said no. Because you always brought, you know, if that makes sense. So let's talk about it, but you can't get defensive because I'm upset about it. Mm-hmm. You know, so we got that kind of bit of communication together and we don't own each other. No, we definitely don't. But we, so we can't say you can't do this, you can't do that. I would always say, I don't feel comfortable with this yet, or I don't know how I'm going to feel if you do this, or... Uh, that's one thing I think that was very important for us is that we don't own each other. We're in a partnership and in that partnership, I don't tell her what she can and can't do and vice versa. If there's something I don't want her to do, I will ask. And then, you know, there's, there's never, there's never been a time where we've been like, no, I'm not listening. She was kind of like a respect for each other. We started with group stuff. We did everything together. So I think we did the progression that most people do. You know, we did things in the same room and always together. Then we then we went to like playing in separate rooms. That really helped me out knowing that like, hey, I don't have to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. And vice versa, he was okay if I wanted to do something and he wasn't a part of it. When she first had uh, got a boyfriend and was dating him, she would, you know, go off on dates. And at first I was just not, I was not all that okay with it. I, in my head, I was like, you know, cause sex is pleasure. Like if I can laugh at someone's jokes, I can have sex with them basically. Like it's, it's pleasure, it's an act, it's, it's not intimate, but going off and spending time with another person, I had to wrap my head around that. Um, and it bothered me a lot. So together we were able to process my my emotions about it and now that, that there isn't that, that boundary is long gone the boundaries were i, I asked her I was like if you're gonna be home after midnight just give me a, give me a heads up saying hey uh-huh. i'm gonna be home in a couple hours i just want to make sure she was okay and then i just wanted to wake up next to her and now none of that is just no i have no more boundaries i was able to process it all um and healthily too i mean the first like week you was there i thought we were gonna break up I'm not gonna lie. I was like, oh, okay, well, then I told him, like, we're not doing anything. He's like, no, 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 I want you to do this. He's like, I need, I need to go through this. He's like, I'm not 
going through very well, but I need to go through. And if you stop doing it, I'm never going to know if I'm okay. And I said, okay, but if I keep going, you have to tell me when it's enough and I'm never going to lose you. And he told me what his boundaries were. And I said, okay. And I did exactly what he asked, like to the T. Like we let each other process things. And, and um, that's how it works. Because, you know, I, once he, I had a boyfriend, then he's like, and then he met his girlfriend that he still has. That was hard for me in the beginning. Because I was like, oh crap, this is what it feels like. Now I'd be on the other side, you know? <laughs> it, took, and, it took me a little bit longer to get a... Um, a girl to have a girlfriend to meet someone. Because um, you're, you're, you're like you don't give your emotions and heart away really easily. Or neither do I. But I mean, um, he's a very slut. He's a slut, but he's not an emotional slut. Mm. I'll say that. You know what I mean? He's really good with his boundaries with people. And he's like, this is all you're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very actually surprised me to have a girlfriend, which I love her and we're really good friends. And um, he's such a good boyfriend. And it's I, I don't know. Polly is just it, for us. It's been I. It took me to be poly to be comfortable in this relationship or into this lifestyle. So I, I I was able to like be more myself. And we still do group stuff together. We still have a lot of fun. We still have a lot of sex with other people. Um, and we still do it. We were, at, them, we were at a kinky swinger party on Saturday and we did a bunch of group stuff. Yeah. It was great. So it was, it was just, yeah, it's just, but I don't, it's not, it's not what it's all about now. And I can, and I've realized, I think I've always been poly, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think the best part about being poly is I get to see what it's like when Taylor would fall, when he fell in love with his girlfriend, what, how giddy and dorky and like a little like insecure he is, because he doesn't, he never, he doesn't show it to you. So I, he, I got to see the things that I didn't get to see when he fell in love with me. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And he got to see my, I don't like to fall in love. I get really scared about it and very anxious about it, and that's, how, and I'm like, I try to run away all the time. And so he got to see what it was like <laughs> for me oh for falling in love, oh my God. and he loves <laughs> it. Uh, <laughs> but we just. I don't know, it's just, it's kind of a cool, makes it makes Taylor almost more my best friend this way because we get experience that together. And like our kids know too. My favorite was when I told my kid, uh, my middle child, who's about 17 year now, or 16 years old now, um, they're a really quiet emo child. So I didn't know if they really were okay with everything because they wouldn't really talk about it. They were really quiet. So at breakfast one time I said, hey, you know, I said something like, oh, I need to go somewhere. He's like, oh, because you're going to go see your boyfriend. And I was like, oh, you know, like got nervous for a second because we just told the kids recently. And um, he's like, but it knows, you know, it's fine. And I was like, hey, are you okay with everything? And that's the best answer ever. They said, oh, my mom's in two consensual relationships. Whatever will we do? <laughs> they're like, there's worse things in the world, mom. <laughs> he's like, you do you. If you're happy, you're happy. And I'm like, wow, that was probably the best answer I've ever gotten. <laughs> Well, that also speaks to the fact that you're raising children in a cu- culture that yeah. this is just the way that it is. Yeah. See, the only reason why a kid would be like, ew, that's weird, yeah. is because they were raised in a culture yeah. that said it was. Yeah. And, and it's not like, you know, we don't, they don't, you don't tell your kids about your sex life. No one should. Mm-hmm. So we, they just know about our relationships. Mm-hmm. And so, and then, you know, you talk to them about like a, what a proper relationship should, should be. be, that it's a partnership that they should never feel like they're owned or, or, or owed to someone or anything like that. That every, that if they're going to be in a relationship with someone, it's a, it's, they're, they're equals with that person. And that consent is a big thing that they should never do anything that they don't want to do. We're not glorifying or fantasizing, you know, E&M, Polly or kink or anything like that, but we're using the, the, 
the teaching points of consent and equality and non non judgmental and just to, and, and love all is those love things. Is love. Like if you can love a person the way you want to love a person, as long as it's consensual. How could someone who might uh, be listening to this and thinking that this might be for them, how would they get started in meeting people? It's such a great community now, and there's so many good. Um, socials and so we we go to like I don't know like two or three socials a month like well, uh, um, they can Bloom, get on the app Bloom the app Bloom has, can get on has, um, that's very very, up. It's, very enum, um and they have enum socials yep so if you go on them. Bloom you can um even if you don't need to, like, we don't use Bloom to meet individuals. We go there for the events. Mm-hmm. I'll have a lot of different events, uh, some in person, some online, mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, so you can definitely meet people through um, through those. There'll be a lot of really, really Fet good Life, events. Um, FetLife is a lot more for kink, but there'll be some E&M no, stuff then, on there. Yeah, they have, um, like, a lot of those same E&M socials that I for. So, yeah, yeah, so it's, but they almost run in the same groups. Mm-hmm. You know, so you'll find a lot of kinky people at a, at a poly meetup, or you'll find a lot of, you know, so it's like, it's kind of like almost expand your world and try it all a little mm-hmm. bit. I think sometimes you'll see a lot of the same people there too. And then just, I don't know, establish your friends, right. ask, ask a lot of questions, don't be shy. That's the biggest thing is, you, everyone in this community is socially awkward, I swear to God. It's like, it's just a thing, right? If you're kinky, yeah, there's like the anomalies, but if you're like kinky or poly or ENM or whatever it is, some reason we're also all very socially awkward but when we find our people we're not right make sure you talk to your partner establish boundaries if something happens jealousy is going to pop up they do you, they pop you, up you, you address it it's a human nature thing you're always yeah. gonna be jealous you, you you address it don't keep any secrets don't don't be the only person with a secret something bothering you because it's going to fester talk about it and have those difficult conversations mm-hmm. um and remember a difficult conversation is both is hard on both ends like if I go up to AJ and I ask her a, a question that I've been, t- it's been taking me two weeks to ask AJ, I shouldn't be asking her for an answer right away. <sighs> because if it took me two weeks to gain the courage to ask her, she needs to process that because it's probably a really big question. It's also really nice to either establish poly friends and or people that just have been in the community for a while because that's a great networking system, mm-hmm. right? Because they're going to know a lot of people. They're going to know a lot of groups. So it's a good, and it's also like, it's almost, if anything, like it's almost like you have a mentor. Yeah, but it's all about, again, it's all about having discussions and talking yeah. at nauseum. So there you have it, my friends, an introduction to kink. I must say that this episode was super fun for me. I had a new experience with Tony, and I got to learn a lot about living in a healthy, kinky ENM relationship. But remember, all of this info is easy to find on your own. Essentially, this podcast is aiming to open a door for you so that you can see what's on the other side, and then go explore it at your own pace. We all deserve some fun in our lives, and I hope you go find yours. Be safe out there, beautifuls. See you next time. Everybody's Doing It is produced and hosted by me, Miss Lolly, for Bad Form Media. Our executive producer is Parker Edison for Meridian Arts, and our head editor is the talented Chris Reyes. I am so grateful these two don't blush easily. Adrian Villalobos is media production specialist. Lisa Jane Morset is director of audio programming and operations, and John Decker is senior director of content development. You can subscribe and find our newest episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This programming is made possible in part by the KPBS Explore Content Fund. Have fun out there, beautifuls, and thanks for listening. KPBS On Demand is supported by... 
the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota. Let's go places.